Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is episode 28 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by Stacey Patton. Joined also, as always, by our friends at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs. If you saw the Rangers lose a very bizarre game three today to the Penguins, you understand how those odds may have shifted. Uh, also, Major League Baseball fights and even next season's NFL futures. And if you had checked a bet online before the run of the roses at today's Kentucky Derby, you might have known that Rich Strike would win, and you might be ready to quit your job next week and chill on an island rather than going back to work for the grind. So remember, Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. Super easy to get started. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Stacey, what is your favorite gambling game? card game or slots or roulette or anything what do you what pulls you in yeah poker uh i actually did play a lot of poker in college yeah nice can you will you watch like when they have poker tournaments on tv like can you sit and get into that i used to yeah um i i got into so i had like a pretty rebellious phase in high school and i did basically everything that was besides like crazy reckless shit um yeah basically everything that you know i think my parents wouldn't approve of but mm-hmm. i really liked poker because it's it's a very cerebral game mm-hmm. uh i was you know i i work in it uh, with data and all of that so i've always been into stats um but uh it was it's always been poker and i used to yeah it's just it's such a, an interesting mental battle mm-hmm. um with chance like i love poker so nice very good um how about so you? I really like um I mean I like poker. I don't think that I'm remotely um I don't know it well enough to I got I played it a few times and I really really enjoyed it. Um but I don't think I have like enough command or experience to be like oh that's my game. Um I have been to a few casinos in my life and <laughs> I've just always had the experience of like going and I like blackjack. I think that's cool. Um I like roulette just because I think it's pretty to to gamble on a color and a number. Um, but every time I've ever gone to a casino, I have been up a lot in the first hour, hour and a half. And then I don't have a, a, a number to stop at. So then I start losing and then I start trying to win it back and then I keep losing and it pretty much follows that pattern. So I really like poker a lot. My relationship with alcohol, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's great for the first hour, Mm -hmm. life of the party. Then you lose it a little bit and then you try to win it back. And uh, this is why you regret it. That's my appreciation of cannabis. It's just straight, you know, like you can go pretty, pretty far, but like you can keep a pretty good, a pretty good straight line going for a while. Um, Yeah. And then, yeah, for me, it's just my, uh, when when I when I use cannabis, I uh, I think the message from my stomach to my brain that I'm full 
doesn't get there. It does not. I just I won't like it's there's one thing to get the munchies, but like I just won't stop eating. Yes. You know? Yeah. And then the next day I just feel like a beached whale. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like Yeah, I do. I think I take it to extremes because like my friends don't go that hard, but the first time I got like really, really high in college, it was my birthday and my friend we went to this like you know campus after hours like food place and he ordered like two pizzas like two whole pizzas and i'm like oh like are there like who else is coming over and he's like no no that's that's for you and like that's for me and i was like what the hell are you and like i'm pretty sure i ended up eating that pizza if not that night like 90 percent of it was gone that night and then the rest the next day so um, oh here's here's a fun question actually i think i there is an obvious answer but it's also a tough question I asked this on Twitter. Um, if you had to choose to give up one, would you give up listening to music or would you give up eating pizza? It's got to be the pizza. And I say that as someone who doesn't live in a place anymore that has good pizza. So it's very easy for me to give it up. But even if I lived still down in the New York area, um, I'd have to give up pizza because there's so many other foods I could enjoy. They're not pizza. But like Maybe I could. It gives you close to that, right? right? Now, if you're talking all like sauce and cheese related breaded dishes, now that's a different that's a different animal. Yeah. Um, but I just I love you know music is so important. I don't know if I could give it up, but um, if you said rice and beans or music, like now we would have a very difficult decision to be made. Um, I, I I say that because I also think like music, food, and I guess and well sex, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's on a different category. Those are the three things. If I asked someone and they were like, yeah, I don't really like it. I would just find that like very, <laughs> that's no offense to people who have those preferences, but no, those no, are no. three things where someone's like, I don't really like music. Like you, you ask people, what, what's your, what do you like to, to listen to? And if someone's like, I don't really like music. I met that, that person. My friend who like had never dated in his whole life was suddenly dating this girl like years ago. And he wanted all of us to come meet them at, at this pool club. So we're like, yeah, okay. And we're expecting her to be like a disaster because he's a disaster. But when we get there and meet her, we're all stunned because she's beautiful and like coherent and like really seems to like him. And we're like, what's going on? Like, well, there's something wrong with this girl. But like, what is it? And we can't find anything. And at some point in the night, I'm like, so what Like, what kind of music are you into? And she goes, I don't really like music. And I was like, ah, oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now we have our answer. Um. Speaking of questions and answers, let's talk about the New York Knicks. Let's talk about the Knicks are not in the postseason, as we all are painfully aware, but the postseason rages on, and Knicks fans watching it probably are having thoughts and having feelings and having questions. And I know you have had that experience um, in this postseason, Stacey. So what do you want to talk about as far as the postseason and its relevance to our New York Knickerbockers? Yeah, I mean, I think you it's very easy to and I think we got a taste of this last postseason, um, you know, how much of a different ball game it is. But I think it often gets people focus on the fact that it's stars creating an isolation. And that's obviously a big part. Like the shots that like you see players just make incredible shots and even role players, right? Um Drew Holiday's not a role player, but he hit like he went eleven for thirty today. He had some very tough shots that I just uh, there's very few people on our on the Knicks who can mm-hmm. make those kind of shots consistently. Um and even like I remember watching the Nuggets and like 
you know, they would just get in transition and Will Barton would get the ball and like have two guys in transition. And it's like, okay, he should shoot that layup, but like just the acrobatic ability to finish like from tough spots. Right. Because even when these teams run actions, like Mm -hmm. the defense rotates and it's still a tough finish and they're making those. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the margin and the, the kind of threshold for everything is so much higher. Um, but that includes also ball movement and quick decision-making. I think the extreme of this is if you watch the Golden State Warriors play, mm-hmm. um, where the ball is just constantly moving. No one is holding it. Yep. Uh, or Sorry, th- I, th- people obviously hold the ball. But once an action gets started, there's like once there's a kickout, you'll see this with the Knicks a lot, right? There's a kickout, and even if it's a shooter like Alec Burks or Fournier, if they don't have it, they'll like pull it back out or they'll slow down. Like it's always into something else. Like every, it's like mm-hmm. you know, in improv, right? You have the yes and thing. Yeah. Teams are yes anding hundred percent of the time in the playoffs. Um, and the level of just cohesiveness, individual feel, knowing your responsibilities, skill, right? Being able to both dribble, pass, see everything, and when because it sticks out like a sore thumb when there's one or two guys on the floor that can't do that. Yep. And in the regular season, you can hide them and you'd say, well, they have these other strengths. But in the playoffs, that gets exploited ruthlessly. And um, and like, you know, we, we look at some of like, you, you'll see like a great half. We saw this a lot from the Knicks young guys, right? There was the 36 to 4 stretch over two different stints. But there was the game where the Clippers, they played the Clippers and they, the young guys, including like, it was like Deuce, Grimes, yeah. IQ, um, Reddish and, and Obi, I think that lineup together, or, or one of those guys in, uh, out and Sims was in. I think Grimes may not have played that mm-hmm. game, or, or it was it was a combination of Reddish and Grimes. But anyway, the point is they just were dominant, and the ball was moving. They were locked down on defense. This is the kind of play you see from teams for basically forty eight minutes in the playoffs, and like our best stretches, our Knicks highlight reel that that's that's how the playoffs are played so i'd be interested in your thoughts like what are the what are the main like it just feels like so many things right i think what most fans will focus on is the fact that most of these teams have like a star right mm-hmm. you have a jason tatum you have a yon well no one has a Giannis, so let's let's keep him as one as one but you have a Giannis, you have a john morant or so you have a jason tatum you have a john morant you have a trey young you have a guy that just is just a a matchup nightmare Mm-hmm. And that is part of it, but there's also like everyone else is just, it's like a symphony. Um, and is it the processing ability of those players? Do they need better, you know, I, I don't like the term basketball IQ, but I'll say like mm. quicker decision makers. Uh, do they need guys who can make more difficult shots? Do they need, you know, the shooters who can shoot better off of a contest? Do they need better athletes? Um, and that's just talking about offense, really, right? Because the same, yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of the same things apply on defense. I'd be curious, like, what do you think the biggest gaps are? Can our young core get there? Um, you know, what? Uh, yeah, what are the biggest gaps you see? I think um, the biggest gaps that I see watching, you know, playoff teams and then watching the Knicks all year, I think, is not. I think a lot of people would say point like teams have a point guard and the Knicks don't. And for me, it's not so much that as much as it is, and this is a lamentation I've had about the Knicks for a long time. They're not a general top to bottom. They're not a good pass. They're not a team who make great passes. And I'm not saying like no look passes or 
you know, crazy off. I'm just saying that like, it's, it's not even, it's the decision-making. And again, I agree with you that it's not a question of basketball IQ. Um, Cause for example, I think Nerlens Noel is a very um, intelligent basketball player, particularly on the defensive end, but that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't factor in his passing or ability to move the ball at all. Um, I think extending off of that, extending off of the ability to keep, like you're saying, Obi has that. We've talked about that before. Obi's not going to, you know, win any assist contest. He's not going to probably average ever as many assists as Randall has the last two years. But Obi is a point on a continuum, and the ball keeps flowing. He's not an end point. Um, he's something that the ball keeps moving through. And um, he keeps moving, right? There was there yeah. was a play today. Jordan Poole is a different player. There's a play today where Jordan Poole had a nice, like he had Jaron Jackson on a switch. And this is, I think, this is fundamentally such a big difference. He gets Jaron Jackson on a switch, right? And I love quickly, but, um, and quickly has flashed this ability. So I'm not picking on him, but you get the switch. He got to the rim, uh, but then there was another help defender. He dumps it off to, it was, I think, um, Kevin, Kevin Looney. Uh, and it should have been an open layup, but Looney has his limitations as a vertical athlete. So he pump fakes, the guy recovers and pool keeps moving, relocates the corner. Mm. The ball finds like, he doesn't stop. And like, when I say keep moving, he doesn't stand there, realize that the layup isn't going to happen. And then be like, mm. Oh, what do I do now? It's all one. Like he has those contingencies built into his mind. Yeah. Right? It's like, I'm going to pass it. And regardless of whether he takes this layup, I'm getting to the corner. Mm-hmm. And he ended up hitting a three. And that continuity and flow, I think that's that's kind of what you're saying with Obi as an endpoint. But it's not just that he will move the ball; he yeah. will also keep moving, and he will keep moving and doing. He has an idea of what to do, based on everything else that everyone else is going to do. And I think Obi is the greatest, is the best mm-hmm. place to start on this team, even more than guys like Quickly or RJ or or Grimes or Fournier who move well without the ball. Like he's just so cerebral in that, you know. Yeah, I don't know if. if- I don't know where I would rank Obi in terms of ultimate upside among all the Knicks young core, but I do feel that if I'm just isolating players for, do I think this person's um, method of playing would translate well to the postseason? Obi's one of them. Um, I think quickly can be also, I think Grimes definitely is. Um, You mentioned the young core before and like, can they, I'm really curious kind of related to this talk thing. I've been thinking about this a lot this season. Once it became clear that the Knicks weren't going to make the playoffs, and I think once it became clear that there were a lot of issues with the team, but I, I would say undoubtedly one thing that didn't work out as a whole was the Kemba Fournier backcourt. Not to, I don't think it's an equal level of disappointment, because I think Fournier by the end of the season had kind of legitimized himself as a, I mean, he was getting a lot of crap for a while. And even when he was kind of making shots, I think Fournier has at least, in most fans' eyes, settled as, like, we know what he is, and he does that. And he there's a lot of things he doesn't do, but, like, he does what he does, well, whereas Kemba just, unfortunately, didn't work out. But I wondered all season, like, if you reversed the Knicks' order, their first two seasons under Thibodeau, like, they made the playoffs two years ago. And because of that, and I thought it was a real positive at the time, they had the opportunity to be in a pretty high ranking, like a four or five series and were exposed for what they don't do well that you need to do in the playoffs. We learned that Randall has limitations. We learned that the Knicks were kind of having, seemed to have a deficit of creators, ball handlers, people who can even just make their own shot for themselves. And so they adjusted accordingly. 
it didn't work out well, obviously. And my curiosity is if the Knicks had missed the playoffs their first season and then somehow improved and made the playoffs the second season, like, I just wonder how differently we would view everything because I think 2022 failed in its attempts to address what went wrong at the end of 2021. And I, I, if you're a team that makes the playoffs year after year, like what Milwaukee was recently, I think you have enough evidence to be like, okay, we see what the postseason is like. Let's adapt. I think if you make the postseason once in a weird COVID season and then don't make it again, like I wonder if you have how fair your self evaluation is as far as <coughs> what do we need coming after the playoffs? So do the Knicks need creators? Do they need people who could, address what went wrong two years ago against Atlanta? Probably, but I don't know, like, going forward, beyond they need passers, um, the biggest, I think, thing that I think the Knicks need is a, and I don't know if this comes from more playing time across the roster. When I watch these games, what strikes me for the most part is how few players on good teams can be run off the floor because of their limitations. Like most players on decent teams in these games have enough depth of talent that you know why they're out there on a, on the most obvious level and they can do other things. Brandon Clark can do different things. Um, you know, Bobby Portis for the Bucks does different things. I don't know right now on the Knicks how many players, young core or veterans, I would say, I know I can trust that person in the highest level of competition to do multiple things well. And I think as you shorten the rotation, especially in the playoffs, you need players that don't have an obvious write-off. And I think the Knicks still have maybe too many of those. Maybe for this coach or just maybe in general, because I'm not, that's also, we, we talk about the players all the time. But the other question when you watch some of these coaches, Mike Budenholzer for years was lambasted for not making what seemed like obvious adjustments. Why he's playing Giannis well, 30. It was also kind of the opposite. Yeah, it was the opposite of Tibbs. It right? was the opposite. It was the opposite we, in terms we of. We get 40 minutes of Julius Randle the regular season. They yeah. got 33 of Giannis yeah. and their tour. And someone else did that. Um, Maybe it was early in the Memphis. Someone else in this postseason was getting criticized, a coach also for like not playing his stars like nearly enough minutes. And I just wonder, we look at the players, but I'll ask you about Thibodeau. Like, it's hard to say because we've only seen limited, you know, Nick playoff basketball under Thibodeau. But <laughs> we talked all season about can this man adjust? And there's a point where it's not fair to ask players to do more than they can do. Do you think Tom Thibodeau is like on a on a Budenholzer track where he's had, you know, he's shown certain tendencies, but you have to believe he's capable of of changing them up? Or do you feel like yeah. I don't know what I like. Let me let me phrase it to you. I, I think better. Do you have more or less confidence in Thibodeau or the Nick Young core going forward? The Nick's Young core. Yeah. Um, I think so. You mentioned Budenholzer. So Budenholzer was a first time coach in Atlanta, which was a roster that was a sixty win. That is the most extreme version of like the difference between playoffs and regular season. Now there's an asterisk there because anyone looks worse against playoff LeBron. Um, and I think what, what really showed out when that 
you know, they had four all-stars one year, right? But that was more a product of their team than the kind of matchups that get exposed in the, in the, and even, even that, and I think this is maybe there, if you wanted to say that you can have as good ball movement as you want, you could play like the Warriors, but ultimately what made the difference was that when the Warriors get their best shot, it's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson drawing that attention that creates it more than just the ball movement, right? Mm-hmm. The Hawks had that kind of ball movement, but people aren't, the playoff defenses are not going to fret over Al Horford the same way, or Paul Millsap, or Kyle Korver, or... Um, Josh Smith. Yeah, or, or Jeff Teague, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and by the way, that might be the, that might be the end that might be the upside if every Nick player hits their ceiling, that might be what it looks like. A bunch of really good players that just lack that guy who's really going to put fear mm-hmm. into the hearts of playoff defenses. Mm-hmm. But Tibbs, I would use a different comp um, because that was Budenholzer's first job. He he did screw mm-hmm. up in the playoffs of his first year or two in Milwaukee, and he learned. Um, and they got a ring. Um, Tibbs has been a coach for much longer than Budenholzer was at that point, mm-hmm. and he hasn't changed. He is, I think, part of the appeal of Thibodeau is he's going to be consistent. He's going to give the Knicks an identity that has had positives, by the way, right? Um, keeping everyone in a certain role, like people were like, "Well, you know, you don't want to start quickly because you want to keep him in his role." There is, it's that's not without some merit. I, I think when the cost is starting players out of position like Alec Burks or who just were not helping the team like Kemba or Elf, that's, that's where it starts to be questionable, but that has value. Um, I think the, the comp I would use for him is actually Doc Rivers. Mm. I think there's a lot of similarities with Doc Rivers. Um, and this season it's really been more illuminating. Um, Doc has consistently coached good teams. He's had the benefit of being able to coach good players, but he won a ring. Mm-hmm. Um, which shows that you can win a ring that way. But he's notorious for not making adjustments. He's blown multiple series where he's up 3-1. Yep. Uh, they went, they're up 3-0 against Toronto and went down to 3-2. Um, and it's like he, he might win a ring this year because Joel Embiid is that good. Right. Um, just as a side, like Joel Embiid coming back when everyone thought he wasn't going to play yesterday and leading them to a 20 point win after they didn't look like they could be competitive with Miami. He's, he's an incredible player. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're team Jokic or team Embiid, like I understand if you want to give Jokic the MVP personally, I probably would, but um, Embiid is more than deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rivers has been, and like that goes all the way down to, he's had some testy press conferences of late, right? Where yes, he yes. kind of, he shit on the Orlando magic gonna... roster. Uh, they asked him about Paul Reed and DeAndre Jordan. He didn't have a very coherent answer to that, which is kind of like some of the answers that Tibbs has given. He's going to die in that DeAndre Jordan hill. Yeah, and maybe DeAndre Jordan is his Alfred Payton, right? Right. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're Waterloo's, right? Um, that's the comp I would use, which there's a lot of people that would say, hey, Doc Rivers is a hell of a coach. He did win a ring. That's not easy to do. Bad coaches don't win national champ. Or, sorry. Well, maybe it should be now. Maybe that's true. <laughs> we should. Um, I think that that there's a fair argument that that's the case, but there's that comes with a heavy cost. And Doc Rivers has underachieved with teams that, um, I mean, he he couldn't get out. He he didn't make the finals with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in their prime. 
and DeAndre Jordan. Um, those kind of things stick with you. And with Tibbs, you have a lot of those tendencies. So that's the comp I would use. But to answer your question about which am I higher on the young core or, or Tibbs, it's definitely the young core because it's a really good young core. It's deep. It's nine or ten guys deep. Uh, I'm pretty certain that not all of them are going to be here, and it's probably closer to you know the the Lakers at one point at Lonzo Ingram Kuzma. It's like that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, except I don't think I don't even think we have an Ingram at this point. Um, no. I don't know that RJ can get to that level, but may- maybe that's a ceiling for him. But our young core is kind of like that, where the more likely outcome is that at least. But if they trade four players, they'll have five that are that are rotation guys because that's how deep they are with young guys. Hmm. And um, I think they're in a like even if they make like a it was it's and this is the big difference between the team before we traded for Melo. That was the last time you could really see a nice young Knicks core. But they really had, it was really three guys and Mozgov, right? Mozgov, who was a little bit of a an unknown at that point. You had Gallinari, who looked like, Gallinari is like, um, I would say Gallinari, before we traded him for Melo, is in the realm of how RJ is, is viewed as a prospect right now. Is that fair? Or do you think RJ, I mean, RJ might have a higher ceiling? It's pretty close, because Gallo was such a better shooter and was tougher than people thought he could get to the line competitive yeah. on defense yeah i would say that's fair um quickly is probably and quickly is probably similar to how chandler was viewed at that time quickly grind but like that's the thing it's not just quickly it's quickly grimes obi were probably all in that chandler realm right mm. um and then you'd have fields as like maybe like or f- maybe grimes is yes. close to the fields and then that's that's without considering cam and uh mcbride and sims Sims is probably that Moz, like probably equivalent to how Mozgov was viewed. Different time, um, but because it was a different time, Mozgov's skill set had not yet been kind of, I don't want to say rendered obsolete, but you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Minimized. he was still viewed as like a potential really good player. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the thing is, like the Knicks made that trade, and then all of their young depth was gone. The Knicks could trade IQ and RJ, and if they still have Obi, Grimes, Deuce, Sims, they'd still have a pretty intriguing young core right and if they traded iq and rj it'd probably be for someone like donovan mitchell right so like they have multiple moves or they have the ability to get a star and have like some young pieces around him so um that flexibility has been unheard of in nick's history so how many of the young Knicks right now do you think most of the league if they could would trade a first straight up for um RJ, yes. Mm-hmm. Quickly, yes. Mm-hmm. Obi, yes. I think Obi. Grimes? Late first. It would have to be late, late first. first. But I do think that under... like I also think a lot of these guys are undervalued. But mm. if I'm just looking at how I'd think they would be viewed around the league... Um, Mitch is just a wild card because he's a free right. agent. Um, Sims, I would say no. Sims, no. Reddish? Maybe we did. Right, we did, but that doesn't mean anyone else would. Um, <laughs> Do you think Reddish is still viewed as like that highly? Talent-wise, he is. Yeah. But I think the fact that he got another injury, and it was a freak play. It's a dirty that, foul. I, I, would, I, I actually, yeah, I actually think that's the bigger concern for teams, though. That he's injury-prone? Yeah, mm. injury-prone and 
like I don't think the talent. I think like if you could guarantee his health, I think if you're a team like Golden State's a bad example, but like a team like Boston or mm. um or Milwaukee, right? Where um you know Middleton's getting up there now. Um you know they they kind of I mean they're playing Pat Connaughton in heavy minutes and he's, he's a solid player, but I think them being able to roll load up on another six eight wing. If he traded Reddish to the Heat, he would be like a pseudo All Star in like three years, somehow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's. I also say this. I am of the opinion that if quickly went to the Heat, he would be doing what Tyler Hero is doing <laughs> already. Um, but um, yeah, I'd say Reddish. Yeah. Uh, Deuce, I would say no, but I I think that is going to change when he gets some consistent minutes, whether here or elsewhere. Yeah. Um. Rokas, I don't think I think that's still a no, but um, maybe not. Again, maybe um, you know. And there's other complicating factors. So, Fred Katz had a piece this week in the Athletic, um, speculating on directions. I think he's going to do trades and free agents, and he started by doing. Um, I guess they're all free agents, and he talked about Jalen Brunson, uh, Tyus Jones, and Ricky Rubio. Um, three completely different players, different stages of their careers, different skill sets, um, would probably occupy different positions on the depth chart if they did come to the Knicks. Um, we've talked about Brunson a bit in the past. I'm curious, Tyus Jones to me feels like a move I'm not interested in only because I feel like his floor is very stable and his ceiling is very low. And I don't feel like the Knicks need a caretaker at point guard. He's done a great job, and everybody points out the Grizzlies' record when Ja Morant has been out, and some of that is a credit to Tyus Jones, and he never turns the ball over. But some of that is also a credit to Memphis being like loaded up the butt with super talented young players everywhere. So, <coughs> But that's just how I feel about <coughs> Tyus Jones. I've been pretty – I've wanted Rubio on the Knicks so long that I, I don't even think I can think straight about it anymore. Um, where do you stand on forget Brunson because I think we've talked about him enough already but a player like Jones do you feel like if Tyus Jones came along and he's backing up quickly like do you feel better about the Knicks at that spot do you feel like a Rubio because Rubio was really successful <coughs> in some different in some different contexts in Utah he was very helpful in Cleveland he was really really central um, to a lot of their success before he got hurt um, how do you feel about those two players? Yeah, um, just with, with Rubio, I have no qualms. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I don't even want to break down his skill set at this point because everywhere he's gone, he's been a plus. Mm-hmm. Te- teams play better. Two and ways. That's two ways. Two ways. He's yep. a very. He would probably quickly has become a very good defender. Um, Deuce is a good defender. Rubio would. Uh, okay, so. Ruby is probably not as good as Deuce at this point at the point of attack, but overall, um, I feel like you could play Rubio next to Fournier and not get killed the way you did when it was Kemba. Kemba, yeah, and I, I mean, and I we also have to take into account that Rubio is aging, so yeah, and coming off injury, yeah. Um, so there, the diminished athleticism, it would probably be more like a Goran Dragic, but those mm. even even guy like Goran Dragic, he's been a plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys just. They know how to play. Um, 
or a guy like Lowry, who has been diminished this year, but is still playing really well. I, I don't think Rubio is as good as Lowry, but I'm, I'm just talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, there's no question that he would help the Knicks, I, unless unless he's just washed. But it's also a thing where I think he could age a little bit better than Kemba because he's not so reliant on being quick. Um, in terms of Jones, um, here's the thing: he doesn't have the ceiling of Emmanuel quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. For all of the positives he brings, I pulled up his stats now. He is still a 54% true shooting. He's at 54% true shooting, mm. which is exactly what um, quickly finished that. Mm. Doesn't get to the line a lot. Mm-mm. Doesn't get to the rim a lot. But what he is is he's a smart player who takes mm-hmm. good shots. Uh, I think his assist to turnover ratio is like pretty bonkers. Yeah, like yeah, he the league four assists. 4.4 assists to 0.6 turnovers, which that's insane. It's like seven to one. Seven to one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so um, he, he's going to give you a high baseline of play, mm-hmm. and I think if we are going to hand the keys to quickly, the thing is this: quickly still in his third year next year. There's going to be variance, right? Um, because there is with most young players. And so there's going to be like, everyone is like, well, how many minutes per game is everyone is quickly going to get? Well, but that's losing the fact that there's probably going to be nights where Quickly's feeling it and quick and Tibbs is like, give him 36. And there's going to be nights where he's really off. And you probably want someone like Tyus Jones to come in. You reduce quickly down to 20 to 24, give him time to settle down. Maybe it's a bad matchup. Um, and you have like, you have someone who you know you can get. Like, that's the thing. Like, a bit, like if you're going to, I'm not like bet is a is not a great word for quickly because I think it should be more than that. Like I think they, it should be a logical investment. Let's call it. You make an investment in quickly. Ties Jones's insurance on that, right? That, and not just insurance in the sense that quickly is a bust, but on the idea that game to game there's going to be variance. He's going to be high variance as a, first of all, as being a young player, but also because of the fact that. you know, until he really gets to the rim consistently, which he showed flashes of at the end of the year, but until he's someone who's like truly complete, he is going to have high variance because he is going to be dependent on his shooting. Mm-hmm. Having a baseline player, and I, I don't think you can, I think because quickly has long arms, you can play them together. Tyus Jones is six feet, so it's less than ideal. Yeah. But, um, but you get it, you get a, a quality option like that who's capable of being a starter. But also can fit in, um, you know, in that role. Um, that would be good. Now, Tyus Jones for his career has averaged 18 minutes a game. It's interesting to note that early, like one of the things that a lot of Minnesota Timberwolves Twitter beefed with Tibbs about, um, indirectly, I guess. I don't think they showed up at his house or anything, but <laughs> um, was the fact that. Tibbs was married to a stop me if you heard this before, an aging point guard who's a veteran, um, who was good at penetrating over a young player, a young guard who was the team was performing better with. And the name of that vet was Tyus, or sorry, was uh, was Jeff T. I was gonna say I didn't see it going and, that way. <laughs> and then the backup was um was Tyus, Tyus Jones. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that. Tibbs would have some kind of loyalty to Tyus Jones. I don't know. I as I read this, I'm reading a reply to one of my tweets. Uh, Joe quoted Joe Flynn. Front, shout out Joe Flynn. Quote tweeted me about Tyus, and a reply to that was, 
I think Tyus might hate Tibbs for not playing him in Minnesota. <laughs> and I actually do wonder if, if Tyus Jones signs somewhere, if he's been averaging 20 minutes a game playing behind guys like Ja. Maybe not resentment, but it's like if I can go anywhere I want, I'd rather go somewhere where they would give me a bag to be the starter. And then at that point, if it's like the Knicks having to give him $15 million a year and give him the starting job, um, that would be too much for me. Um, and they could because Memphis has cap space. And I think as much as they love Jod, they realize what Tyus Jones brings them. And I think they will try to keep him. Mm-hmm. So for the Knicks to bring him in, it probably they would have to make him the starter. And, um, you know, Tyus and quickly together as a extended defensive pairing might not be great. And I, at that point, like the concerns when people bring that same issue up about Brunson, I'm less concerned because a Brunson is really good. Uh, and B, I think because of his length and Quickly's length, they could get away with playing them together more. With mm-hmm. Tyus, it's a little bit murkier. Mm-hmm. And I also like if if we signed Brunson and he like became like this high level point guard and we had to trade quickly, it would suck. But I could like understand it because Brunson is that good. I wouldn't want to punt on Quickly's upside just to sign Tyus Jones. Would you punt on Quickly's upside to sign Brunson? I would be more amenable to that. Yes. Yeah. Would you rather go into the next three or four years with Quickly or Brunson? That's a tough question. Considering that I could still have Quickly for two years as a rookie on a rookie deal, mm-hmm. not just a rookie deal, the rookie deal of a 25th pick, so he makes a couple right. million dollars a year, I would say Quickly mm-hmm. if I had to choose between one. Mm-hmm. But with Brunson, I have both more confidence that quickly could still get 25 minutes a game. Like if if Brunson plays 32, quickly plays 16, back him up, and then quickly also gets nine next to him, you know, as at the two, that's 25 minutes. And, um, you know, like if you look at a guy like Anthony Simons, who was in his fourth year this year, yeah, he did not play. Um, he did not play. He played 21 minutes in his. He barely played as a rookie. Mm-hmm. 21 minutes a game his sophomore year, um, which is basically what IQ did. IQ played a little bit more, and his third year he actually went down to only 17 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And this year, because of Lillard and McCollum being out, and then McCollum being traded, he got 29.5 minutes a game, and then he blew up. And now Simon's getting a max. So on the one hand, I'd be worried about Quickly's camp saying if he doesn't get minutes next year, you know, are they going to demand a trade? Are they going to get upset? Or, you know, is his trade value going to be hurt? And on the other hand, I'm like, you know, there's been players who have showed out in their fourth year, and sometimes it does take time to like make it all shake out like that. And mm-hmm. I think with Brunson, I'd be more confident in making that bet. <laughs> Whereas with Jones, like if that happens, you know, you have a solid, you have something like Darren Gollison. Mm. Uh, which is fine, but um, yeah, I think it's a much. Um, it's like it's easier to think. It's easier to bet on. And then even if everything bad, the worst case scenario happens with quickly, like he ends up getting traded. Like Brunson is a above average starting point guard right now, and he probably will continue to be at least that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a bad thing to like. That's that's the bird in the hand that you take, you know, and at. And that is worth twenty twenty two million dollars a year. So every series 
now, now that we're in the second round of the playoffs, I feel like arguably besides Miami, um, make sure I'm getting everyone else covered. Yeah, I think arguably other than Miami, every team that's left has some kind of just destructive. Maybe you could say Jimmy Butler is, but like the Bucks have Giannis, you know, who's a two way monster. The Celtics have Tatum, who's brilliant on offense. Um, Golden State, man, all these teams have these. Just, and the Knicks, obviously, that's the hardest piece to get. We all know, you know, hoping you move up in the draft, hoping you lend the pick free agent. Do you, <coughs> most of the teams that I see in the playoffs, I don't feel like they tried to follow the model that desperate Nick fans, fans like Feeney and for Messiah cling to, which is let's build a core and then that will attract our Messiah and then we move along. I feel like most teams, it comes along kind of concurrently. Golden State didn't add Steph to an awesome core. They developed him along with it. Milwaukee did that with Giannis. Um, even though Phoenix added Chris Paul as kind of the the touchstone to their project, like they had been building for years and developing and drafting people. Um, do you feel relief at that idea? Like I find it very relieving to imagine that the Knicks could put aside the like we have to we have to impress free agent X or we have to have the assets for trade star Y I would feel good just seeing the Knicks for a while just keep adding depth and keep adding quality and build a system you know um, more than I feel like like in the next 12 months I feel like I would in an abstract sense because I don't know who would become available or what the terms would be I'd rather see the Knicks stay on this course than Take a big swing at Donovan Mitchell, who even Donovan Mitchell, brilliant, brilliant player. I'm not sure that like whoever the, the star is that you just have to have. I don't think that person is out there at all for the Knicks. I don't think that person you want to throw out maybe the asterisk of the Nets decide not to resign Kyrie and he's you want to get into that can of worms discussion. That's fine. But I feel like just keep draft someone good at number 11 make some smart signings keep going and if you but i don't know this might be a very like calvinist mentality that like if you just keep your nose down and work hard you know the universe will take care of you and it doesn't always work that way um do you still find yourself thinking about okay who's a free agent next summer or who might be the next disgruntled star i don't find myself thinking about that at all right now I kind of wish I could think like that. Yeah. Um, like, I would love to just see the young guys cook. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. For every, for Golden like, there is a little bit of, you can look at Golden State and say they developed these guys. You can look at, you know, Milwaukee or Memphis. For the most part, it's interesting because Golden State, um, Steph Curry was infamously the seventh pick. Should have been the eighth pick, but <laughs> that aside, um, you know, Steph was eighth. I think this is something that gets talked about less, but I don't know if you remember, but Mike D'Antoni had a hard on for Clay Thompson. Um, yeah, uh, that was the draft we took. Shumpert, I love Shumpert, um, but uh, I think a lot of mock drafts had Clay Thompson 
falling to the Knicks because I think besides Golden State, there was less interest in a guy who at the time I think was perceived more as kind of one dimensional as a shooter. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think like his defense in the league has really been. I don't, from what I remember, the draft like that wasn't. He had the tools, but no one was really expecting him to be an impact defender. Yeah, yeah, not what he became. Um, you know, I don't know the other teams. Milwaukee, I, you can't bet on finding someone like Giannis. So, um, you know, that was just the bet that paid off. Um, can you think of teams that tried to do that? That you know, kind of plateaued. That made the big move, or that didn't. That didn't. That did what. That you know, plateaued. Drafting. Yeah. Um. Depending how you, <laughs> they're not a perfect example. It's more a condemnation, I think, of them. But Philadelphia has never really peaked. Um, like they've had swings and they've had interesting seasons, but um, I don't think that's what you're going for, though. Um. Yeah, I I, I think a team that had a number one pick in Simmons and then a guy who would have gone number one, if not for injury and Embiid and Embiid, a generational prospect, I guess Mm -hmm. that's not really. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a team in the past that. I think Washington's a candidate. Um, Yeah. Washington had better talent than Knicks. They got Wall and Beal. And And here's the thing that here's what gets in the way. You roll with these guys. RJ could get extended this summer. If he doesn't get extended this summer, he'll you'll have to pay him in free agency the next year. He has a massive cap hold. Even if he doesn't get that, um, and and while you even if you give him the cap hold and then say we'll match whatever, and that offer is lower, um, you know during that time the Knicks are kind of their hands are tied as far as I understand free agency. Um, same thing with quickly, right? Um, and you're seeing this with teams with young stars. Like the Heat, the Heat are probably gonna have to give Tyler Hero a max. The Warriors are definitely gonna have to give Jordan Poole a max. Um, if quickly as a breakout season, or even something close to that, um, you're probably looking at that, or you're looking at fifteen twenty million dollars. So the like the flexibility and the the kind of how great you feel about them tends to wane a little bit when that happens. And then you're kind of plateauing. Mm. That's kind of the fear around that strategy. I feel less anxious about that with this (coughs) franchise because it's been so long since there was even sustained competence that for most teams, plateauing is a pejorative because you're assuming there's some pursuit of an ascent. But in the case of the Knicks, And I don't think this is just among the fans. I think even the organization probably feels a pressure, if not just a desire, to show that we can be a successful, competent, um, in all the best ways, unremarkable organization. Because if we can just satisfy those requirements, like we have a tremendous appeal to people. So normally, no, I don't want to plateau and... If I'm in certain markets, you know, if I'm the Lakers, especially, like, I really don't want to plateau. But with this team, I don't... It's another reason why I feel more comfortable with the core. If this core topped out, let's say, at a five-year period of low to high 40s in terms of wins, I know that's nobody's dream. But would I sign up for that right now? I would. 
because not because I think cool that's that's all I ever want. I just think for the Knicks, you know, when the Knicks began to turn it around ten years ago, um, I remember when J.R. Smith was available. He was in China, and there was talk about there were a lot of teams interested. The Clippers were interested in J.R. Smith. Um, the Heat were a few other teams, and it was a big step forward for the Knicks, who finally at that point had been good a couple of years, or at least competent, that a player who had choices, I mean, he's obviously from the area, but like he wanted to come to New York, and they got him on a fair deal, um, and he was a very significant part of a lot of, um, of a lot of big games for that team. I would take competence right now, more than I would, I think, for other franchises. I know people don't want to hear that <coughs> because... <coughs> It's all about rings, or it's all about getting the best lottery pick. But I'm I'm tired of, I'm really tired of the lottery game. It's also, and this is like why it feels like such a tight tight rope to walk, because a lot of people did. Besides, before this year, a lot of people criticized Danny Ainge for, you know, using all his draft picks and not turning them into a star, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's fair to say, you know, let's say we do have to pay RJ $25 million a year. We pay quickly $17, $18 million a year. Uh, we re-sign Mitch. We, you know, we don't have to make a decision. The nice thing is some of these guys are staggered. So, yeah. but you probably, you know, you probably will have to give OB 15 plus per year. Right. And you start, you cap yourself out on your young guys, which I think I would agree. I think that that'll be confidence. But you probably don't have more moves to make there because Obi Toppin making fifteen million or twenty million dollars a year is a lot less attractive than Obi Toppin making four million dollars a year. Quickly making eighteen million dollars a year is less appealing than that. Um, and because there have been guys that have gotten paid, young guys who you know it like Otto Porter got a max, and he's is he a good player, a competent player? He helped the Wizards reach competence, mm-hmm. but they couldn't go from there. And then the, it begs the question, right? are you better off maxing out on the value of these guys quickly making 2 million, OB making 4 million, um, you know, RJ making whatever he makes, I think it's like 7 million. Uh, are you better out maxing them and turning them into stars and get to competence that way uh, with some more upside than kind of, um, you know, putting yourself, cause then, you know, you're, you're, you, in either case you're, and I think that's the thing, like people, we believe, and I'd believe that the the Knicks young guys give them flexibility, and it's true. But that has a timer on it because it does. they are going to get paid, and once they get paid, you don't have that flexibility, and they become much less attractive trade um, chips. You don't have that flexibility, but you do have a different kind of flexibility. Um, Miami was really good at this at some point in time, where you, if you had Obi making fifteen and quickly making eighteen, and RJ making twenty five, I think if if Obi gets a starting role, I think he will. I think uh, John Collins, I think, got four for 80. Uh, my guess is if quickly, if OB starts next year, I think he will put himself in a position for that kind of contract. And then you would have a nice, you know, ecosystem of diverse contracts, which I do think I, everything you're saying I hear and I can, and I can agree with. But so I also think. Not 20, real quick, sorry. Uh, it's not twenty. It's actually five for one twenty-five. They offered him four eighty or ninety that he turned down, and then he bet on himself, and then he got the big deal. Um, yeah. And I think quick, Obi's Obi's older. Obi's actually just about the same age as Collins is now. He's not the same age Collins was when he got the contract. Right. But the cap is going up. I believe he would get um, in that neighborhood. 
if if he got to start for a whole year. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could definitely see. I could definitely see that for him. Um, and I wouldn't mind it. Not only in terms of like good, you know, sign your young guys and and build something sustainable, but again, also you don't want to be. I think it was the Lakers this year had three guys making max deals, and other than Taylor Horton Tucker, I don't know if this is right, but like just about everybody else was making like nothing. And then you run into a point where, like, if you have to make a trade or you want to make a trade, you're so top-heavy with just max deals and veteran minimums that, like, you can't do anything. Whereas if you were the Knicks and you had a 25 and an 18 and a 15 and a 13 and a couple people on younger deals and then Star X is available, now you have some assets to work with just because you have a range of contracts that you can that you can send to the other team. So... A lot of things that for other franchises, right, but you have a range of contracts. But are they, are they plus contracts? Are they neutral contracts? And there's nothing wrong with neutral contracts. Yeah, I, mean, I think Obi at twenty five could be a neutral contract. Um, they're just not going to be as appealing as Obi making four million dollars. Right, but my assumption, my assumption here would be that if the Knicks are signing RJ quickly, Obi to those deals, maybe even Mitch, that. They're deals that, while not obviously as appealing, they're still not bad contracts. They're still not um, albatrosses or like unreasonable things. Um, yeah, but I mean, you're what you're sacrificing at that point. I do think there is. You're either putting your at that point. You're either saying we're just going to have to trade all of our picks to get a guy like Donovan Mitchell, which maybe that's preferable, um, or you're saying that. Um, you know, we're kind of just going to be happy with this and hope that we can get like that. That is kind of what the Bucks did. The Bucks stayed that way for a while and they were an eight seed for a while. That was, mm-hmm. I think the Bucks were synonymous with that, like quote unquote, no man's land. And then maybe this is what you're getting at where it's not really that much of a no man's land because it doesn't, but that's the popular conception is that, you know, you're not bad enough to get a, a top two or three pick, but you're not good enough to make any real noise in the playoffs. Um, the Bucks were that, um, mm-hmm. and then, but again, that comes back to yeah, they got a guy with the fifteenth pick, but you cannot <laughs> rely on finding Giannis. Right? I'm still betting on Quentin Grimes being our Giannis, but obviously we'll have to and, wait and see what time. But, and and that kind of and that's also another thing with the teams you mentioned. Like, as good as our young core is. Nobody had shown what a guy like Steph has shown. Now, Steph played, spent three years in college. Um, so quickly was as old this year as Steph was as a rookie. Mm. Um, RJ is still younger than Steph was as a rookie. But those guys, like, it was like, you, and like, no one, like, Giannis's leap has been outlier. Um, until Kid put him at point guard, everyone like people were like, "Wow, this guy can do things you've never seen." But no one was like, "This is what he's gonna be." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he was an exciting young prospect in the mold of like, but just exciting, not like a yes. good player yet or someone we know is gonna be a good player. Um, I don't know if the Knicks have a guy like that. I don't know right now. I, I wrote about this. I about- think there's some people who'd say quickly because of this, like, but I'm not. I am very optimistic on quickly, but I'm not there. I think. I think he'll end up, I think like realistically I could see him end up being like the type of impact of a Van Fleet or a Kyle Lowry Mm -hmm. or a CJ McCollum Mm -hmm. with a little more two-way balance than McCollum at least. Mm -hmm. But that kind of player, like a top 25, top 30 player, which again, 
picked him 25th in the draft. That's great value. And he's, he's already, already yeah, great value for he's already great value yeah. for where they got him. But I, I think he can reach that, and that's me being pretty high on him. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, like Steph or Dame, like no, he's not that. Um, RJ, like I could see him reaching Jalen Brown's level, but um, not more than that. Quinn Grimes, I think, like I've said, I think he'd be Joe Harris, but all first team defense. That's still not, you know, the kind of guys would be talked about with the teams you mentioned, right? So that, like, how do you get that guy if you kind of play it safe? And I understand what you're saying about, um, you know, if someone becomes available and you have a range of contracts, it's easier to trade. But I think that if you do have to pay all of these guys, mm-hmm. um, one of them has to hit. And then if that one hits, then you don't want to trade them anyway. Right. right. Um, and when I say hit, I mean hit relative to contract. So if RJ is paid $25 million a year, that means he has to hit like an all-NBA player. If Quickly's paid $20 million a year, he has to hit like an all-star. So, um, you know, that's where it becomes a little bit murky. Mm-hmm. Is there a player on this roster that you think is more... This is a weird question because I'm asking you... I may, I'm asking you to make a comparison to what was obviously a mistake in the past, but I, I feel like everybody except Len Taylor probably knew that giving Andrew Wiggins a max deal was a mistake. Having said that, Andrew Wiggins has is still like he's a nice player. Like just because a guy gets a max deal and doesn't deserve it doesn't mean he doesn't have value, and Wiggins clearly does. Is there anyone on the Knicks right now that you feel more comfortable giving a max to after their rookie deal? Than you did thinking like Andrew Wiggins should get a max. No. Yeah, that's what. See, this is what concerns me. And I would add Otto Porter Jr. there too. Yes. I would put. I would feel as comfortable with giving RJ a max as I did. I would about Otto Porter Jr. Really? Okay. Yeah. See, that scares and Otto me. Otto Porter Jr. was and like it's this side note. It's also interesting how a lot of these guys on uh, bloated contracts keep playing and then it's expiring and all of a sudden people are like oh but he's actually good and then it becomes a valuable player that's kind of the, the that's what Otto porter and andrew wiggins that's the trajectory harrison barnes i don't think he got a max but he also got a big deal right? he did well yeah he got 20 something um, um so they all followed that trajectory overvalued and then like okay but he's not bad you know so the moral of the story is that rj should sign a max deal and end up in golden state just like wiggins just like porter that's that's how you make it work out no matter what um, um, if we got our if we got Jordan Poole back, I'm not gonna say I would be thrilled about losing RJ, but I'm also not gonna say I would be mad about getting Jordan. That's Poole a weird. You know what? Who would have thought that statement like eight months ago? Yeah, and that's also not the Knicks should have drafted Jordan Poole over RJ Barrett. Where was uh, Poole drafted? Was when was he drafted? And where 20, was he? Twenty eighth. He was drafted twenty eighth. The same draft as RJ. Twenty eighth. Anyone who wants to clown the Knicks? Oh, oh wow. And speaking of Jordan Poole, uh, I had to turn the game off. But um, he is a team, a game high, plus 33, 27 on 17 shots. And Golden State has turned this into a laver. Yeah, they were down uh, double digits. They were down, I think, 13 in the first half. And then um, they started like crap. I will say Jonathan Kuminga somehow ended up with 14 minutes. I actually liked his minutes a lot in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some bad mistakes, but um, he's a good he's a good player to again. He's a much better matchup against Memphis than against um 
God, who did they play? Denver in the first round. Jokic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we I mean, much is anyone show? a good matchup against Jokic? <laughs> well, Draymond Green, apparently. Maybe Draymond. But, maybe that's about it. <laughs> but that's really it. So. <laughs> Tritaj has had his moments. Um, um, but yeah, you see, so yeah, like I, I, I agree with you on that. Like, yeah, like as bad as, you know, as much as people had would have had consternation about signing. And again, Minnesota is hamstrung because they can't sign free agents. Right. Right. So they have to like, if you get Wiggins, like you kind of have to pay him and, and roll the dice. Mm-hmm. The Knicks do have more flexibility on that. Um, I have a feeling they'll work something out with RJ that's closer to four to a hundred or something like that. I think they'll one hundred percent work something. Yeah, I think they'll they'll do whatever they have to him, and I think he will too. I don't think either side is interesting yeah. in like screwing the other one over. Yeah, and um, if he could go to like Sacramento or something for an extra five million dollars a year, uh-huh. I do think he would choose to stay in New York. Absolutely, yeah, I think so too. And uh, then if he shows that anyone would give him a max, if he shows that a team like a good team would give him a max, then I think the Knicks will pay him. So it becomes an easier decision at that point. Let me close by giving you a, a quirky little trivia question here. Um, there is there is one other thing I wanted to oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. We, um, so there's... Uh, have you have you been watching Victor Webmanyama? Uh, so I have seen... I've read about him. I've seen film. Um, I'm no authority on the man, but I have definitely seen um, highlights and some game footage and read quite a bit about him. Yeah. For those who are not aware, um, is he in the French league? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Uh, uh, he's a Victor. I won't I'll, I'll let Stacy say, it cause I still can't pronounce the guy's last name correctly. So I'm just going to let it go. I, yeah. So he's a French prospect. He's the class of 2023. Um, which is which is a ballyhooed class. Yes, um, he's rated number one, but the number two player is Scoot Henderson. Is that the class where high school kids will be available, or no? No, I don't think so. Okay, okay. I think that's still very much in theory. Okay, okay. I I do think the Knicks with some of their trade backs were kind of that was playing into the equation, but I think there's a lot of them. Okay, okay. Sorry, go ahead. But that is a class where like there's like if you like Prez literally said this today. Um, that there's probably seven or eight guys who would have a argument for number one in this year's class in next wow. year's class, and that that's we've heard that story before, and right. sometimes guys never achieve. <laughs> but the number two player in that class, Scoot Henderson, probably would go number one in a lot of drafts, including this one. Uh, he's a prototype, you know, Rose style point guard, super athletic, quick, great passer, uh, but he can shoot too. Um, but the reason he's number two is Victor Wembanyama, who I contend will break basketball uh, because he is somewhere between seven foot two and seven foot four looks every bit of it um, is a high level athlete. Um, he moves with the fluidity. I said it to, to Matt before the, the, before we started here, he moves with the fluidity of a young KD doesn't have that level of handle, but he's a pretty good ball handler and he can get to his spots. Just a great shooter uh, with high release. Um, comical shot blocker and a really good passer. I think there was like a, a tweet from someone like a, a draft guy. Like I think it was, it might've been Mike Schmitz or it was, it was Mike Schmitz, but it was someone who like compared his passing to Jokic. That's, I don't think anyone's passing should be compared to Jokic. That's a very, that's a, that's a tough comparison yeah, to put on. like comparing someone to Larry Bird. Yeah. He yeah. shoots like Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, like, so he's, but, but again, if you are even close to that level of passer at seven foot four, um, He's just like a prospect. He's skinny, 
but besides that, he's a prospect created in a lab. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, I, I mean, forget the Knicks. I'm just like interested. In yeah, 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 totally. And I, guess I, I do ask this also because we've seen lots of these hyped guys. And you see that fatigue. We saw Chet Holmgren get hyped this year. There's people who compare Wemanyama to him. Yeah. I think I love Chet as a prospect, but Wemanyama is far more explosive. <laughs> I also think he, his form looks better from three. Although I think they're both going to be really good shooters. Um, but we've seen it, right? We've seen it with Zion. Uh, we've seen it with um, Luca, where it turns out to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you saw it with guys like, you know, with like that. Um, how would you, um, you know, from what you've seen, do you think this is just another case of hype and clickbait? Or do you think this really, this guy could really be general? I mean, yeah, is he generational? Is he just a guy who's going to probably be an all-star? Is he bull bull? You know, there's people who think that. So, Well, I love bull bull. Um, I think he could be generational. It's always dangerous to say that kind of thing. Um, but I remember, shout out to my friend Casey, in, in 03, um, when I was in grad school for the first time, a friend of mine got in an argument with someone else about, that was the year LeBron came out, and my friend was was saying, like, I think this guy will end up being, like, the greatest, he'll be greater than Jordan, he'll be the greatest ever. And, of course, Casey got shredded, because, like, you can't say that in 2003. Um, you can never say that kind of a thing. But at some point, it's going to be correct. Someone's going to come along that will all be like, you know what? It's totally arguable that that person is better than LeBron. That person's the greatest ever. This dude, from what I've seen of him, does not look to me like a fluke. Does not look to me like, um, yeah, he can be, you know, make two or three all-star games. I mean, his shooting range is ridiculous. Um, and his size. And I was t- like I told you before we recorded, Porzingis was an exceptional athlete when he was drafted, like exceptional for his size. I, we had never seen a person that tall. I mean, I didn't see Ralph Sampson, but he was a little shorter anyway. Um, we'd never seen somebody 7'3 who looked athletic for 7'3. This dude's like 7'3, and like you said, he just looks athletic, period. Not for a big, not for a plus 7-footer. He just looks athletic, and he has a beautiful stroke. And the way, especially the, the thing that excited me the most about Porzingis when the Knicks drafted him, when I wrote, you know, the, the posting uh, scouting report for him was imagining the way that he could warp space on both ends, not just as a rim protector, not just as somebody who's seven, three, but when you have the combination of height and shooting, you can warp your universe in a way that like just nobody Nobody really can. And this guy has all of that. Um, and this may be an unfair stereotype, but I do believe also that, like, I don't think he's suffering by playing his developmental years um, in a European league um, in a place where, you know, they generally seem to focus more on fundamentals and team play and that sort of thing. I haven't seen many players since LeBron came out. The, the players who have been drafted that I was the most just like, holy shit, that person is astonishing, was Anthony Davis and Luca and Zion. And now I would say like this dude. Um, and I, I, I want to see more of him, obviously, and who knows how it turns out. But I would trade a lot on the Knicks right now if 
if, if somehow that guy was going to be in this year's draft, like I would, there's nothing I wouldn't trade to get a shot at that guy. Yeah, that's to agree. I mean, um, it's weird. It's weird to say because you're just like, I love RJ and I've loved watching RJ develop and I love game in and game out watching like the growth and seeing him do new things. And I would trade him in a second to get a shot at this. And thing. I would, that's not, um, <laughs> and I wouldn't say that really. There's not many. I mean, I wouldn't say that probably about anyone's. I like Chet a lot. I like Ivy a lot. There's no one in this draft. Jabari Smith's the only one that I've, and I don't know that much myself about him. He's the one that I've heard, like, could be a good enough shooter and two-way player that, like, he's okay. Like, he's really, really good. It's not the same ceiling. I think that's a, like, fully realized Jabari Smith is probably a five-time All-Star. Yeah. I don't say that lightly. That's definitely a guy you trade. No, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but that that is the upside of him. Right? Mm-hmm. But Yama, the upside is, I mean, it's talking more like Kareem, like more like no one's. You haven't seen anyone who can do this. Yeah, Kareem didn't shoot threes. Nope. <laughs> he probably could have. He but um, they asked. He would have taken sky hooks from the three point line. I saw a video play. on YouTube recently of Wilt Chamberlain. There was obviously no three-point line. It was just a practice, just tossing in hook shots from the corner three and, like, nailing them. And then I saw footage. I, I, I there's some guard. I can't remember his name now. There's a guard in college who who shoots hook shots, and he's, like, pretty good at them. And it led to a montage of just, like, all these players, you know, who can shoot hook shots well. And I need somebody, you know, Mitch, learn a hook. If Mitch could learn a hook, like a good hook shot, do you know how much better like that would make his upside? If you just had that one thing to learn a hook, or to learn, there is literally a shot in basketball with the word "free" in it. (laughs) I want Mitch taking hook shot free throws at like seventy five percent. That's what I want. Do the fucking Rick Barry thing. (laughs) Like, will you? Do you uh, think in our lifetime as? Hopefully, toxic masculinity seeps out of professional sports. Will we see an NBA player shooting granny free throws? But I don't even... Is it even toxic masculinity? Because the guy who is known for that <laughs> is pretty toxic and masculine. It's Rick Barry. Oh, my God, Barry. you're he right. You're, oh, my God. Maybe he it's good a, that no one is doing granny shots, actually. <laughs> well, no, that's... I think, like... I don't, like... It, well, I mean, have you heard the story? You've heard the story at Will, right? Like... Wilt worked with Rick Barry and Rick Barry like helped him to shoot free throws and Will took um you know the underhanded free throws for half a season. Yeah. And he and stopped. He, and he he shot really well. He did. And then he stopped. Yep. 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 I think I actually think um I haven't I believe the the 100 point game he did use those. He did. And he went 28 to 32. 32. Yeah. Oh. So like and then he went away from it. Because it looks funny, I guess. Shaq it's would like, be the all-time leading scorer by a mile if he had done that and made 70% of his free throws. Yeah, I mean, I still think Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time by resume. Yeah. But I think if you take the peak of any player, it's tough for me to say I've ever seen a player that was as unstoppable as prime Shaq. No. Like, what did you do with that guy? No, there was no absolutely one. nothing. You I mean, hoped he, everyone around him had an off night shooting because there was. And I, don't think, 
there was nothing you were going to do. And it wasn't just like, well, if you're the, you know, the, some team with no center, you could have an all-star. It doesn't matter who your center was. He was killing them. I remember, I remember like, I didn't appreciate this when I was a kid, but like he faced Dikemi Mutombo, you know, one of the all-time defenders for an entire final series and stuffed him in a trash can. Killed him. An entire series. Killed him. Side note, the fact that AI even stole one game from that Lakers team. Like that Lakers team is up there with the Warriors and all those teams is like greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. The fact that AI had 48 to steal one from them at and still barely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that says a lot as much about AI as any other player, but yeah. um, But yeah, no one was like 2000 to 2002. It was just, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And the the only thing, I mean, the only person who defended Shaq was him, right? He came to camp out of shape, you know, didn't really go hard in the regular season. That's why he never led the league in scoring and rebounding. But yeah. if you, but it didn't matter because in the playoffs you saw that. Okay, like now that he cares, he did all right. He did all right for himself. That guy, yeah, Shaq. Um, <laughs> before we go, let me give you this little trivia. Um, Bill Shea at the Athletic wrote a piece this week um, talking about fan cost index, which is supposed to rank. It's a calculation to rank um, for a family of four how much it would cost to attend a game. Um, he does it for every team in the NBA. He does it in all sports, uh, baseball, football, hockey, MLS, does all of it. And in his talk about um, basketball, <coughs> not surprisingly, for the 12th year in a row, your New York Knicks are the most expensive ticket uh, in the NBA. For a family of four, the average non-premium, remember, this is non-premium ticket, um, family of four, $936 and 72 cents. I can tell you that's true because a couple of years ago I wanted to take my family to see the Knicks play Golden State and like I would still be paying off that loan if I had done it. So um interestingly enough since FCI was started being tracked which was I think 31 years ago. Yes, 31 years they have tracked this. Only 3 NBA teams have ever been the most expensive. It's been the Knicks 21 times of the 31 two other franchises at some point were the most expensive in the league. Can you guess who these two franchises are? I feel like you can at least get one of them. I had no idea on the third one. Yeah. The other one seems obvious. So let me just make sure it's the last 30 years, 31 years. Yep. Um, what team did Kobe Bryant play for? Uh, the team that is number two on the list. <laughs> yes. So I think that's the easiest one. I'm actually surprised that they haven't been more expensive than the Knicks overall. Mm-hmm. So that is surprising. Um, I'm tempted to say Boston for the other one, but you did say you had no idea, right? So it's not Boston. It is Boston. I never would have guessed them. I don't think of, I know Boston is an expensive area, but I don't think of, maybe because I'm thinking of old Boston Garden and it wasn't, you know, like a palace. Um, I didn't think of this. I, I don't, and I don't know when that would be because 31 years ago takes you back to 91. The Celtics haven't been great no. in the 90s, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 90s and 2000s. They haven't been great other than. So, you know, end of the. What do you know what years they were? Because Larry Bird retired. I don't know what you. No, no. I don't know what year it was. Maybe. Let me see if it's here. Um, let me check really quickly. No, I don't think it says what year. It just says that, oh, maybe this is it. The only other teams to be atop 
FCI. No, it doesn't say when. So I would guess the Doc Rivers years, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it'd be Doc Rivers. I mean, and Boston is a it's expensive. It's expensive, and it's also it's a. I mean, it's a storied franchise. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the Knicks are up there, by the way, over the two most, the two most storied franchises, the two franchises with the most rings, mm-hmm. uh, the two franchises that all of the conspiracies are always about about trying to get them in the finals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's not that surprising to me with Boston. I am surprised Golden State didn't make it because the, they were number two this yeah. year. They, but they had Steph and KD and yeah. Clay at the same time when obviously that area has had a huge economic boom, right? Or it, at the now it's obviously there's there's obviously a lot of inequality and a lot of those issues, but mm-hmm. um, that area has a lot of rich people. Let's mm. call it for what it is. So um, I'm actually surprised that they never finished at number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, give them time. We're in a billion dollar stadium now. And then my other guess would have been Miami during the big three, but that is kind of a pretty fickle fan base with a lot of other entertainment options, I guess. Mm-hmm. But although New York and LA are not exactly also, yeah, not, not a one horse town either. Um, so there you have it. A little bit of Knicks, a little bit of finance. Um, that is all for episode 28 of the Jacobin Sports Show. Oh, my God. I'm on my other pod. That's it for episode 28 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Forget everything you heard about Jacobin Sports Show. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. That will be all for this week. We will check in with you again in a few days and talk more Knicks then. Uh, take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.